Food for Thought podcast. I'm Andy Hanasek, Senior Editor of Food Processing Magazine. As the 2023 calendar year winds down, the protein industry sits in an interesting position. Each segment of the industry, whether you're talking about conventional animal protein, plant-based, alternative, or cultivated animal products, stands at a different point in its evolution. And the short-term future is certainly pretty intriguing for all. We sat down with Nicole Johnson Hoffman, a CEO, independent board director, and protein industry veteran, to get her insights on what to expect in 2024 and beyond for the industry and the companies dealing in those plant-based, conventional animal, cultivated, and alternative protein products. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Nicole, thanks so much for joining me today here on our Food for Thought podcast. We really appreciate the time and the insights you're about to give us with regard to the protein industry overall. We're wrapping up the 2023 calendar year and figured it'd be a great time to kind of take a look at where things stand for the industry overall, using your expertise, your insights, and giving our listeners some some good knowledge to to plan against. So first off, let's, you know, I, I think many people who have followed my career, have seen interviews that I've done with you and stories that have included you as a source, but why don't we uh, have you introduce yourself a little bit in your own words? What's your protein background and and where are you now and, and, and are you enjoying it? I assume you are. <laughs> well, thanks, Andy. It's such a pleasure to talk to you today. You know, I always love to talk to you and um, getting to know you and work with you over the years has been a great uh, great pleasure for me. Um, yeah, as you said, I, I have been working in the protein space now for, I can't believe it, uh, over 25 years. And um, fortunately for me, I've had the opportunity to work in a lot of different aspects of protein production and um, and supply around the world. So uh, I'm happy to be able to take kind of a comprehensive view of the industry right now. Uh, as you know, I started my career at Cargill. I spent about 20 years at Cargill. I worked in um, animal protein production there. Um, I worked in the beef industry um, for the most part, but I also worked a bit with our chicken, pork, and turkey businesses as well. And then I worked in further processing when I shifted to OSI Group, which was a company I worked for for about five years. You're familiar with OSI. They're a fantastic producer of further processed foods around the world and work really closely, especially with food service customers. So that was a great experience for me. And then after OSI, I went to go work in a cultivated meat startup based in Rehovot, Israel. And we can talk a little bit about the cultivated meat space and what that's like. Today, I'm an advisor to three companies that work in different aspects of the protein business. So one of them is an alternative protein company that works in the mycelium-based space. One is in the aquaculture space, one of the world's largest producers of tilapia. And another is in animal ag tech. So I'm working in a, a traditional beef production, but enhancing beef production through technology, which is an exciting space. Let's start out with then, you know, taking all of your experience, both past and present, and all the future information you're looking at and 
give kind of your 40,000 foot overview of the landscape of the protein market, the protein industry right now, you know, including traditional plant-based alternative, where does the industry stand? It's, it's, it seems like not we're at a crossroads, but we're at a very interesting inflection point. And I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are of the overview of the industry right now. I characterize 2023 as being a really important cooling off period in the global protein industry. We had seen a few years of really heated high returns in traditional animal proteins. Um, we had seen some very high levels of investment in alternative proteins, along with tremendous excitement about the potential for alternative proteins to even go so far as to replace large amounts of alternative or conventional protein in the world. And then uh, also we've seen development um, and investment in development in cultivated meats, which is uh, not quite uh, alternative proteins or not quite plant proteins anyway, um, but um, but is a whole new category of protein production. 2023 has been a uh, coming back down to earth, I think, for a lot of these industries. Uh, conventional meat production has had a difficult year with soaring costs, put in a lot of pressure on their margins. They have had continued struggles uh, with labor and with transportation and logistics costs. There have been uh, impacts of the drought on margins and supply, especially in the beef industry. So Texas in particular suffered from a drought in 2022, which led to uh, lower beef supplies in the U.S. and higher prices. So there's been a lot of challenge there in conventional animal protein. At the same time, we've seen a real crashing down to earth in alternative proteins and especially in the plant-based space. As investments have dried up a bit, the investment dollars have gone away for some of these companies that were still relying on a lot of venture capital and a lot of hedge fund investment. And then we've also seen a, a change in consumer eating and um, consumers' willingness to continue to purchase products maybe that they tried and, and weren't as satisfied with. So there's been some real change there. Do you think for those who are in the plant-based side of this industry, do you think this is just a, a pretty standard business economic kind of a shakedown, you know, the kind of thing that happens when something new hits and takes off and then there's always that settling down period where the real players come out and the, the pretenders of a sort kind of shake off and either get swallowed up by the real guys or, you know, kind of fade off into the sunset? Or is there is there a reason to be concerned if you're in the plant-based side. The plant-based space attracted a lot of excitement and a lot of investment and a lot of energy and innovation, and that's that's a good thing. I mean, we've had probably 10 solid years of excellent innovation in plant-based proteins, which is good for everybody. It's good for consumers. It's good for it's good for the planet. It's um, it's certainly been good for business. That being said. Uh, because of the excitement in the space, I think there was there was a bit of a rush to bring products to market, perhaps before they were quite ready. There's also been the need to continue to develop and mature supply chains to ensure that costs are kept in line and um, and that there are distribution networks uh, in, enabled to bring the products to market. 
I mean, we've all heard of that General Pershing quote that says infantry wins battles, logistics wins wars. And I think that's what we're starting to see now in the plant-based space. I mean, people who had a good a good idea, maybe they even had a good product, but they didn't necessarily have a way to produce it or a way to bring it to consumers are starting to see that um, the idea can only carry you so far. And until you've really got a way to bring this product uh, to the grocery store or to the restaurant, uh, it's just a it's just a cool idea. So what we're seeing right now is what I'll call a retrenchment, um, certainly a contraction in the space. But what's going to be left are the ideas that were more matured, uh, that delivered a better sensory experience for consumers, um, ideas where the costs were better managed, and um, and perhaps supply chains were being built out in a more mature and sophisticated way to enable efficiencies. One of my uh, favorite sayings is uh, from that movie, Legally Blonde, where I'll paraphrase it, uh, the laws of food production are simple and finite, right? And, um, you know, in food production, margins are variable, generally slim. Operational efficiency and cost management, including COGS, is of paramount importance. And um, food has to taste good, first and foremost, and it has to fit into people's lifestyles and diets. And when you put all those things together, you've got a real and viable product. Until you have all those things put together, you have an idea. And um, and we're starting to see that shake out right now. You know, I've been around the meat industry for a very long time and heard all about this cultivated meat and some of these alternative proteins out there. That part of the industry is going through a different phase right now. Can you can you shed some light on what you're seeing in the cultivated and uh, alternative protein space, the non-plant-based, non-traditional meats? Sure. Cultivated remains a really exciting idea, and it still is in its infancy. Cultivated is still pre-product largely, um, and it's certainly pre-market. So there's a lot of investment yet to come in the development of the products and readying them for the market in overcoming um, various regulatory hurdles and other obstacles that um, that still have to be gone through in order to bring that product to market. And it's still going to require quite a lot of investment. There's investment not just directly in the cultivated meat companies that are working to solve all the problems that come with producing cultivated meat, but also in the infrastructure around it. So in the equipment that's needed, those giant bioreactors um, don't grow on trees, for example. And, um, and so there's a lot of investment needed there. Uh, there's a lot of investment needed in the development of the media that's used to grow the cells. And then of course, in uh, further processing, which is, as you and I both know, um, not easy. And, um, and it, you know, those, uh, those further processors are pretty savvy players for the most part. They're working um, on a on a pretty rational basis, and they allocate their uh, their factory time, their line time to the products that have the highest volumes and the lowest costs. So, you know, you're gonna, you're going to compete for space in those further processing facilities. You're right. Cultivated is a, is a really exciting looking thing, and and you know, I I kind of sit sit and look at cultivated you know, cultivated proteins. And I wonder, you know, where are we going to, where are we going to put these, these facilities, right? And and how much is going to come out of these, these cultivated meat bioreactors and facilities? And how amazing would that be if it's so much more protein out of such a much smaller space than it takes to, to, you know, raise a cow, you know, or raise a chicken or whatever it is, or a hog. As kind of a wild card 
question. Put put your Jetsons hat on for a minute and just give me some some interesting innovation that you see coming out of this industry someday you know we're going to be seeing you know in china they've got you know these vertical hog farms or whatever they are and we're seeing all these um at least in chicago i know we've seen a couple vertical farms where they're taking old factories even in the old you know stockyards area of the city and they're turning them into plant farms you know they're they're growing plants but there are these vertical farms in the middle of the city that, you know, are producing all kinds of lettuce, if you will, in the kind of space that, you know, you wouldn't have ever imagined they'd be growing so much, you know, leafy greens or something like that. Do you have any kind of Jetsons ideas that that you see for protein, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road that you could share or at least, you know, think about or you're thinking about and seeing out there someday? I think we'll continue to see bifurcation of food production along the lines of space and acreage. So countries that have the space and the natural resources to grow crops, for example, in the traditional ways and to grow animals in the traditional ways, will probably continue to do that. There'll be a demand for those kinds of traditionally produced foods. We're still seeing growing demand for animal proteins in the world every day. And I think that's not going to go away. I think there will be a desire to eat those kinds of products probably forever. And at the same time, there are going to be parts of the world where that's just really difficult to accomplish. Parts of the world where they don't have the land for it. Maybe they don't have the water. Maybe they don't have the weather. And in those places, they're going to be doing a lot of work to innovate, to to find ways to produce products without animals, to produce uh, to produce crops without farms. And and that's great. That's that's an important innovation that has to happen in order to ensure the long term happiness and um, and nutrition of the people on this planet. I think, though, um, let's not discount the innovation that's going on in traditional animal protein production here in the U.S. Uh, there's a lot of cool work being done, not just on, you know, improving the sustainability of animal agriculture and reducing water usage and, um, you know, reducing um, the greenhouse gas emissions through feed additives and things like that, although those things are happening. There's a lot of great work being done on genetics and ensuring that the animals that we are growing have the potential to grow into healthy animals that have the best possible chance of surviving and becoming great quality food sources. I mean, that's really cool work. And then also we're seeing innovation in supply chains and in the markets. You're seeing retailers invest directly in uh, meat processors, for example, and, um, and investing directly even all the way down into live animal production in one way or another. That's a really good innovation. That kind of innovation will drive better information. It'll drive a competitive spirit through the industry, which I think we all like to see. And, um, and I'm, I'm just as excited about that as I am about vertical farming. So I think we have to make sure that we're allocating time, energy, and resources to all kinds of innovation, not just the ones that seem jets and sexy, but also the ones that are going to deliver um, closer in results for more people. Yeah, exactly. We've got billions upon billions of people population coming that we're going to have to feed, right? So there's there's room for everybody 
at the table to feed everybody. And, I've, and I know I've I've been around the traditional meat industry long enough to know that most people that are dedicated to that industry per se, you know, believe that they don't just see that when asked about alternative plant based proteins and things like that. So that makes a lot of sense. All right. So not thinking as uh, Jetson sexy, as you said, and as I said, Jetson's like looking into the crystal ball, but thinking a little more maybe pragmatically and short term, heading into 2024 here, how does all of this shakedown and creation on the alternative protein side and, you know, the tough 2023 that many meat, traditional meat processors had, how does all of this affect the protein industry you know, moving forward in 2024, what do you see in your crystal ball uh, that that you can share and that our listeners should be looking for? 2023 has been a story of tough choices and um, and painful contraction, and it, that should bear fruit then in 2024. So in 2024, we should start to see which alternative protein companies and products are going to make it through the test. <laughs> And um, and I'm I for one am excited about that. I I know of a few that I am pretty confident are going to make it through, and are going to be delivering great products for people um, all over the world. And then at the same time, the traditional animal protein companies have been doing what they do better than anybody else on planet Earth, um, which is reacting to market forces, making the changes they need to make in their cost structure, adjusting and adapting and preparing for a better 2024. So I'm excited to see what's going to come when we turn that calendar um, page, because I, I believe it's going to be better than where we have been over the last year, better, ex- more exciting and more interesting. And I, for one, am excited to support the companies that are going to be delivering those solutions. What are the one or two challenges that can kind of upset that? I mean, we know in in animal protein and protein in general, we know food safety is always top of mind and always a threat and always a concern. And cybersecurity has come up as something that, you know, to many of these traditional companies that have been around and and maybe don't fully grasp the digitization of the world around us, cybersecurity can be a threat too. I mean, we've seen some big players get affected. We've seen all different industries get affected. The food industry in general is obviously not immune to those types of things. But other than food secu- uh, food safety and cybersecurity, do you see any other serious challenges that might that could crop up and maybe slow the progress of, you know, the forecast you just mentioned? There are two things that I worry about a fair bit. One is animal health. Um, so outbreaks of animal disease that can create shocks that are felt all over the world in all proteins um, and that are really hard to diff- hard to deal with and, um, and can create a lot of suffering for the animals and, of course, then a lot of suffering for the people involved as well. Uh, we need to continue to advance our ability to protect animals from these kinds of diseases, and uh, and we need to do that through pharmaceuticals, of course, and um, and other you know methods that we use to protect animal health, but also through the biology, through the genetics, um, in order to ensure that we're growing the animals that are going to have the most resistance to those kinds of threats. So that's one thing that I that I think a lot about. 
Um, the other thing I think a lot about, and this is more of an issue with these emerging businesses, especially in um, in alternative proteins, is the access to capital. And what's going on in the capital markets and just how liquid, uh, liquid the capital markets are and whether these um, companies that are still growing and developing will be able to attract the investment they need in order to reach their full potential. Because there's some great businesses out there um, that still need some investment uh, in order to solve some of the problems that they need to solve before they can really have um, widespread adoption of their products. And it, it'll be good for all of us if they are able to get that cash and um, and get through these last few uh, hurdles before they they can um, they can really start to show us what they've got. For everyone listening in today to our Food for Thought podcast, thanks for tuning into this episode. You can find more of our podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere you can find podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future and have a great day.